Good day to you. This is Higgins, and we are in another episode of Same Difference. With me is Melissa Green. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, Melissa has what a background uh, that we are going to discuss. We got a lot to talk about. (laughs) We got to squeeze in an hour here. Um, You have been in uh, a singing group or two. I have. What was the name of the the sing? That what was the name of that thing? So that thing, that thing is called Avalon. Yes, it's a contemporary Christian group that started in '96. I think they were put together, and I I was in high school at the time, but and a fan of theirs. They were just known for these big vocals. It was two guys and two girls. And um, I went on and did another group out of college called Truth, which was big in the Southeast. It was sort of like a boot camp if you wanted to get in Christian music or Christian ministry, music ministry. So I did that for two years. And then um, two of the people that were in Avalon also came out of Truth. And so we sort of cross paths often. And then come, it was 2002, they were looking for a new soprano. And they got, I got the call to come audition. And I guess they liked me because I, I stuck. So that's cool. Yeah. So then, uh, yeah, cause I remember Avalon, I was actually at a radio station and played Avalon in 96, mm-hmm. but that was before you came. Yeah. That out. was the brand. They were the, the, right when they came out. Yeah. So, uh, so going from there, you, you have, um, you've experienced a lot as, you know, just as an artist in, you know, the, in the, what was referred to as the CCM realm, mm-hmm. which I really don't think there's much difference between CCM and secular stuff really it's the same kind of feeling right and so uh, how you know as you know a young bright-eyed star starting out on all this how did that look to you well it was interesting because coming out of truth which was the first group out of college you lived on a bus and you lived with like 16 other people and had a bunk and stayed in uh, host homes and if we stayed in a hotel, it was moderate. Like you want to put your t-shirt over the pillow and not actually <laughs> lay directly on it. And you got $50 a week and, you know, we were just in it for the fun of it and in it for the the beauty of traveling and making music. And so walk into Avalon, <laughs> Avalon sort of was at the peak of their career when I got there. They were, um, for some, the darlings of Christian music. Sure. Others, uh, maybe they never lined up to what people wanted it to be either way. I walked in and had a full-time salary and, um, you know, I get my own hotel rooms and it's, it's like more like the Hampton Inn, which is a lot nicer than the <laughs> whatever I was in. Um, and they, again, they're at the peak of their career. And so I walked in and they've had all these number one hits and like I walked into, I didn't have to do all the work. Like I make jokes literally three months after I got an Avalon, I'm on the stage accepting an American music award. Wow. And I'm like, thanks. Yeah. I didn't really have anything to do with this one, but. <laughs> but it was great to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a funny story because we had been, they had already been nominated for a Grammy Award at that point, And then Dove, they won Dove Awards and the American Music Award happened. And so we were in the limo on the way there. And I said, so if we win, what do I say? Like, what are we? They're like, we're not going to win. Like, we never win these things. I was like, but I just need to know what to say. They're like, just say we thank our booking agency and, and um, management, everyone that helps to keep us on the road. And I was like, okay. So literally we went and I say literally that. And then later they're like, no, you should have said exactly who our booking agency is. I was like, I've only been here three months. I don't know who our booking agency is. is. Like I just said <laughs> vaguely, we thank you. So That's that's funny. Now, have, have you ever heard of the Dove Roast? 
they used to have it many, many years ago? No, I did. I mean, there was like a Twitter thing that happened, Dove jokes or whatever, yeah. which maybe came out of this, but no, not yeah, the Dove roast. I mean, years and years ago, there would be a group that would get together at Satco in Nashville mm-hmm. and sit and watch the Dove Awards and do a do a little. <laughs> dove, they called it the Dove roast, which was. A lot of fun. I'm sure. I, I, I got to be a fly on the wall at one of those, and so I'm sure you had. Uh, if you, but but yeah, the Twitter stuff is about the same. Was about the same deal. It's pretty Except funny. It involves thousands and thousands right. of people. Right. Right. Uh, what now? How did you get from? Where did you go from Avalon? So I did Avalon for almost seven years, um, and in the midst of it, had my son Hutch, and uh, we traveled. Every weekend, like life, talking about those six and a half years, especially the first probably five years, it was every week leaving Wednesday um, night or Thursday, um, and then coming back Mondays. So we're gone every weekend traveling, um, and then if you ever did a tour, it was more consistent than sure. just the weekends. But so when I had Hutch, my firstborn, I ended up getting a nanny and bringing her out on the road, and so Hutch lived on that tour bus, and that's what he knew for the first three years of his life. Wow. I mean, that's all he knew. And so my mom came out some or I had a nanny, but, um, like that was what life was like. And so come 2009, a lot of things happened, which maybe we'll come back to, but I decided I didn't want to be on the road full time anymore. And that I was pregnant with my daughter Haven and <clears throat> I was doing a solo record in the meantime. Yeah. And so I just, and I was ending up leading worship at a thing called Kairos here in Nashville, which is um, a Brentwood Baptist, it's a huge Baptist church here. Um, their college and young adult um, meets on Tuesday nights. And so we'd literally have a thousand to 1400 kids and I would lead worship for that, which I started doing that as a favor to my friend, Michael Boggs, cause he's the worship leader there. And then I fell in love with it. And so he kept asking me to do it every week. And up until that point in my life, I would have never considered myself a worship leader. I would have thought, no, like concerts, being an artist, that's, that's more of my calling, not leading worship. And yet here I was, I could take my shoes off. Like it was a big deal for me to do it barefoot (laughs) and Avalon. That was not, you could not be barefoot in Avalon. You had to wear those heels. You had a certain look that we were, you know, supposed to look. It was a costume. Um, so anyways, I found, I felt myself very grounded in leading worship and every Tuesday night people would come see me do that. And then people would be out on the road and see the Avalon concerts and they would say, this doesn't actually fit you anymore. And I was feeling that internally in the midst of taking a spiritual journey too, which maybe we can come back to. (laughs) Anyway, so I got off, I resigned from Avalon the day I was leaving for my maternity leave anyways. And I I just told them I'm not going to come back. And I love those people. They're like family to me, but I knew it was time for me to move on. And in the meantime, Ben, my husband had been having coffees with this pastor, Stan Mitchell, that we had heard of on and off because two of the people in Avalon used to go to Christ church when Stan was there. Mm-hmm. So they would always talk about this amazing pastor, the best communicator they'd ever heard. I mean, I was like, blah, blah, blah. I hear about Stan, <laughs> this Stan all the time. And so anyways, he had come and done a, a devotional before a tour, one of our tour concerts one night. And my husband happened to be there and Ben was sort of done with spirituality at that point or done with Christianity. He had so many questions and Nobody was willing to hear those questions and or um, respond to them well. They just sort of shut him down pastor after pastor. And so Ben was, you know, I, I joke, like I was in the bed doing my Bethmore Bible study and Ben is over here reading Sam Harris, the atheist books. <laughs> <laughs> and we were trying to figure out what that's going to look like raising our kids. 
Um, but anyway, so he came in contact with Stan and was very impressed that Stan comes across as uh, brilliant and intellectual right away. And so Ben was intrigued. So they had met for coffees and Ben started visiting this grace point. And I was shocked that Ben wanted to go to church. I'm like, hey, I don't care where you go. If sure. you, you want to go somewhere, go. So he literally had been at Grace Point for six months, and I'd never been home any of those six months because um, I was still traveling. So the day I resigned, Stan asked to go to lunch with Ben and then me. He just said, hey, does Melissa want to come? And I'd only met Stan once. And so we went to lunch, and in the midst of that lunch, he was like, hey, we're looking to revamp our music program and really need a worship leader. Do you know of anybody? And I'm looking around like, I literally just resigned yesterday from my other job. Like, maybe this could be a thing. So they came to see me lead worship the following week and hired me like the end of that week. So two weeks wow. later, I'm working at Grace Point. Very cool. And and what year was that? That was 2009. That was 2009. In fact, the first, it was Ju- June 7th, 2009, the first day that I went to Grace Point and led worship. The first time I'd been in the room leading or been in a Sunday service, I led. And I remember that specifically because I had Haven two days later. <laughs> I was great with child. Yeah, <laughs> great with child. Nice way to put it. So, so now what happened in 2009 that you were saying that, that there Okay, so I grew up, first of all, a conservative Southern Baptist, leaning sometimes fundamentalist at, uh, in moments. And so, growing, and we were in a Baptist megachurch. I mean, like 400 in our high school group. Like a wow. huge church. Wow. Um, and so that's all I knew. I went to a public school and I was the one that would take my Bible and be that girl that, you know, no drinking, no drugs, no sex, no some, there was some fourth one, no smoking. Maybe it was all the four. Um, so I was that girl. And then I get to college and I went to a, um, a church of God college, Lee university over in Cleveland, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait, these Pentecostal people, first of all, they're a little bit crazy, it seemed like. And second of all, they had the same Bible that I did, and yet they had very different truths that they were taking from it. And I'm like, how, okay, we're both Christians here, but I thought the Baptist, you know, held the corner on truth. And I realized quickly that we didn't and that there was more to know. And so the conversations and dialogue and sometimes arguments with people in college just opened my mind a little bit more and said, I've always been an avid reader, and so I decided that I would start reading not just whatever the Baptist book was on the Holy Spirit, but also this Pentecostal person's book. Like that was my stretching at the moment. Sure. Um, and then out of college and I started traveling with truth um, and later Avalon and literally traveling the world and end up in these countries where these kids have literally nothing. Um, their parents have, you know, died of AIDS and they're raising, you know, the nine-year-old boy is the head of the household, literally. Sure. Just watching these people live through hell. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, these people are already living in hell. So God's going to send them to a hell later if they don't say this sinner's prayer that I've been telling everybody is what we need to say. So little by little, just my mind kept opening and expanding and trusting that God was going to be bigger than the box that I had got in and that God's ways were different. You know, I had gay friends along the way um, that... I would start with saying, well, God loves you, but you're wrong. You can't live this lifestyle at the time. Like all these things that when you grow up with, you just carry them with you until you actually meet people and look humanity face to face. And you realize these things you believe don't actually work. Like they don't work. They may work in my life because my life is pretty comfortable and pretty easy. But when I'm facing the gay friend or the child in Africa or these kids in the Philippines, I'm like, no, no, my theology doesn't work here. And if my theology doesn't work here too, then my thought theology doesn't work. So little by little opening up, stretching. Um, then in around 2000, 
whenever Obama was first running for president. 2007. Yeah. Yeah. So that was when my, um, that was happening. And I remember he stood for some social issues that for the first time I was like, I think I'm going to vote for Obama, which was a big deal in my family. It was a big deal as a Christian music artist. (laughs) It was just a big deal. Um, and I not only decided Ben and I decided we wanted to vote for Obama, but we were not quiet about it. We weren't obnoxious, but we weren't going to hide it from anybody. And I remember when the, when he won the first election, literally all those people close to us, it was like, it was our vote that did it. Our vote in Tennessee that (laughs) got Obama into office and it's all our fault. And it was just such a big, that was sort of a shift for me though, to say, okay, wait, what I believe may not line up with what everyone around me believes or what I've been taught to believe. And that's okay. So let's do this humbly and, um, remain, you know, curious, but I may differ with the people around me. Which was a first, you know? Sure. Um, and in the meantime, my um, brother-in-law, my sister's husband, they just moved up when my, my son was born. Um, all my family moved up from Florida to all be together. We all, everyone wanted to be in Tennessee. So he was diagnosed, my brother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer, and he died eight months later. And it was just, I mean, it's shocking and hurtful, obviously, to the family in general. But for me and my faith, it was... I was sort of seen as the pastoral figure, even though I was not a pastor at the time and would have never thought I would be because, you know, Baptists can't be pastors. Yeah. <laughs> Women. Right. Well, woman. That's right. Women Baptists can't be Baptists. Um, but anyways, everyone was looking to me and I remember thinking, man, what do I believe about this? Like, how is, how does God work and how is God intervening in those pat answers of, well, God's ways are just higher than our ways. Even though I was saying that after his death, I remember sitting at a dinner table with Ben, my husband, and looking at him, like trying to encourage him and comfort him in the back of my mind saying, I don't know that this is right. Like, Exactly. And that, and that's because you had the faith, you had the mm-hmm. victory, we have all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Why didn't it happen? Yeah. Yeah. So I had to like put everything out on the table and it was for the first time in my life, I had to say, okay, I'm going to put it all out there and I'm going to say, why do I believe this? Why do I believe this about God? Why do I believe this about humanity? Why do I believe this about my gay friends? Why do I believe this about poverty? Why do I believe this about hell? I mean, all the things literally get them all on the table and say, I can ask these questions and it's okay. And for me to finally get to a point to even say it's okay to ask these questions, like that was a huge shift from my upbringing and the the traditional Christianity that I grew up in. And so allowing myself to ask those questions and not be afraid of the said slippery slope, you know, headed into hell, if you even start asking, I started taking that journey and found freedom in it and then started finding more peace along the way. So in the midst of it, I did the solo record and I was able to start saying Um, at the time, some things that I wanted to say and even things that I look back on that record, like they don't represent who I am now. And yet it was a turning point for me. I read Brian McLaren, uh, a generous orthodoxy. It was actually, uh, interestingly enough, Natalie Grant's husband, Bernie Herms was producing uh, half of my solo record. And I remember he recommended that book, which I laugh now because I don't know that he would still recommend it today. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if he would or not, but I remember him saying, I don't know that I believe everything in this book, but I think you would like it. And McLaren opened up a whole new world to me of being a different way that you can still remain a, a Christian, but sort of liberal progressive Christianity. And once I got there, I was like full steam ahead. Yeah. See, going back to 2007, 2008, for mm-hmm. me, I never voted for Obama, either election. Mm. 
and I and I, I was telling a friend, I was telling Stuart Pancake's mm-hmm. house, I want to go back and apologize and just say I'm sorry I didn't. And he said, you know, he's probably okay with it. Really, it's, <laughs> all, it's all right. But but you know, my my views have have started to change mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, yeah. and it's one of those things to where you you go back and you go, wow, I did what? Oh right. You know, and I said this, and and so you look at those things, and I'll tell you a Stan Mitchell story. Mm. I was at Christchurch when he preached his first sermon after being um, commissioned uh-huh. at Christchurch, and a quote that he said, and he, he, you should call him on it too because he was so embarrassed. The kindest thing you can tell someone is that they are a sinner and they're going to hell. And I told that to Stan, and his face got red. Dun, dun, dun. And he said, we were sitting at, at Dickie's barbecue and he sat there. He goes, I'm embarrassed. I want to get up and leave <laughs> right now. I just want to leave. I just want to get up and walk out. <laughs> it's so funny because so many of us take these journeys and we're not on any kind of a platform while we take them. But for any of us that are on platforms, literally there are recordings and CDs <laughs> and sermon tapes that we're like, that will go on forever. And you're like, oops, I did say yeah, that. I and said- I d- Oh, that was not intended. So, so he, so he, obviously Stan has changed a couple of stance as well. Now, as you've moved into, I'm going to come back to Grace Point because you are actually now an associate pastor at Grace Point, that Baptist girl who doesn't become (laughs) pastors. Uh, You're doing work with a group called Timothy's Gift. I am. Tell me about Timothy's Gift. So about... Three years into Grace Point, I guess. I've been there seven years now. So three or so years into Grace Point. Ron Miller, who's our administrator at the church, um, he was doing this prison outreach. And they would go a couple times a year and do workshops and whatnot. And so I knew it was happening and I knew about it. And I thought that's really sweet that he did that. Well, then he came and said, I have this crazy idea that I want to go do a concert for these men and women during the Christmas season. This was in the summer of 2012. He said, so I just, I want to go do a concert and would you do it with me? Would you help me? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like fun. Like, sure. And in the, and my mindset was like, I'll help him out and this will be sweet, you know, just a little thing. And so we get there, fast forward, we get there and I am standing in front. These are maximum security prisons. These aren't yeah. your local jail. These yeah. are maximum security prisons. And so I remember the first time we went, it was December, 2012. And one of the first, basically we set up music and it was Christmas again. So we set up music and then, um, we moved into a time of communion at the end and we still do this open communion at all these, um, institutions. But I remember I was telling the men as they come forward to cup your hands as you come forward for the bread and that we're going to place the bread in your hands. And so don't take the bread, receive the bread. And trying to tell them what that meant. And so, and I said, we will place it in your hand. So this huge, um, it was an African-American man that was coming in my line. And he sort of looked like the guy from um, the Green Mile. Yeah. The big yeah, yeah. guy from the Green Mile. And I remember looking at him and looking at his hands as my hand cupped the bottom of his hand. And I'm placing that bread in his hand. And I looked up in his eyes. And I remember thinking like, what have these hands done that I'm holding? Like, have they raped? Have they murdered? Like what horrible things have they done? And yet when I looked in his eyes, I didn't see that rapist or that murderer. I felt like I saw him, um, as the, you know, word picture that God sees us. Like I looked into his eyes and I saw the eyes of a child and I thought, man, I need to tell you that you are loved and 
that you need to know that. And maybe you've never known that, but that you deserve to know that, that you have a, a place at this beautiful table of the kingdom of God, that every one of us has a place of, and that what you've done and what I've done, nothing will ever change that. And so let me remind you that you're beloved. And it was like a moment for me that I, no other ministry moment I think has been as impactful as that to be able to say this horrible thing that's happened, like the worst of the worst, right? Um, and yet I can look at him and say, oh, no, no, like you're beloved and smile as I do it. And there was no like walls needed. There was no fear in that moment. There was no fear in telling him. There wasn't a, you know, um, you need to own up to your sin. Like there was no judgment involved. It was yeah. just pure love. And so because of that and many moments like that, um, it was also the week, that was the week of the, um, um, the shooting at the elementary school up north. Um, in not, not Columbine, not, not the high school. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook. It was that week. Um, I'm pretty positive. Uh, one of those schools happened that week. And I remember we were in between prisons and we were watching the news and watching it unfold. I remember thinking, there are people like I am going in right now, not to minister to the hurting. I'm going in to minister to the shooter. Yeah. And that was like a, okay, do I actually believe this in my heart? Like this theology that I hold that God um, is truly love and that we, every one of us are the beloved. Do I believe it? Because now's the time to prove myself. Like, do I actually believe this? And so we went in that night and uh, ministered to them. And I thought ever since then, my heart always goes out to all the victims of any of these um, crimes that have happened. But I also think there's very few people that are willing and wanting to go in to speak to the shooters and go in and speaking to those that cause the pain and try to get them back to, hey, do you know who you are? And if you've never been told, let me remind you that you are the beloved of God. While we're right there on that, what is uh, a website if people want to find out more about Timothy's Gift, maybe support it? Timothysgift.com. Okay, very good. And they can find out more about. Yeah, uh, it talks about, we've had some really interesting things that have happened. We've gone back now four times a year for about a week at a time. So we've done over like 130 prisons now. Um, and I take, try to take the best of the best musicians and singers in. And we literally, it's almost like a USO type tour. That's the best way I can describe it. We're going in to encourage, um, these men and women and remind them of their humanity, um, and hopefully get them once I think people realize they're the beloved, they not only act differently, they treat people differently. And that's the culture difference that we've seen in these uh, institutions as we've gone back. I may be overstepping that you guys take volunteers as well for, yep. for just the grunt work and all that stuff. There's a lot of help that's needed. Yep. Find out more at Timothy's Griff. Basically, you got to pay your way to get yeah, there. Yeah, it's like paying. Typically, it's around three to $400, but it's for a three to four day trip. And you're, then that covers your hotels and food. And then you're there to simply shake hands and smile, which makes a world of difference. That's fantastic. Timothysgift.com will cover that again. Um, as we're, we're going on, so you've, You've done this, this, uh, Avalon, you've done that. You've, you've become a worship leader at uh, this church grace point. We'll get back to there. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you discovered? You know, a, you, you're not a, you, you are not a wilting flower <laughs> at all. What, what's your Enneagram? What are you? I'm an eight. I don't know what an, I don't it's know. It's a challenger. <laughs> See, what, what, what Enneagram is it when you don't give a crap what your Enneagram is? That's, uh, that's mine. That's I don't funny. Care. I don't care. Uh, I haven't tried to figure it out. Um, so whatever cynical jerky Enneagram, that's me. Uh, but that's, so you're not a wilting flower. You are a challenger. 
how how is that received? How has that been received on the road when you're when you're out there and you have people who are just like this? Who, who expect a woman to be a wilting flower. Right, yeah. So being an eight as a woman, um, I hope it's okay to say this. Most So most eights as men, they're seen as bosses, they're seen as leaders, and most women eights are seen as bitches. Yes. Like, that's the thing. I told her she could cuss. <laughs> and that has been um, not all of my life, but some of my life. Um, I think, yeah, people don't expect a woman, um, most women, to um, have a voice and to... Um, not only have an opinion, but to be willing to share it. And I haven't always waited for the invitation to share it because I don't know any different. I grew up with my, um, my mom and stepdad in the home. My stepdad was a pilot, so he flew all the time. So my mom was this very strong, independent woman. And that's what I grew up to be as well. And so, um, I have never, I mean, I've always known that there's glass ceilings, be it in the church or in other areas for women. And yet I've never operated that that is going to be my life. I just did what I felt called to do at the time and said what I felt that I needed to say and have operated in that. And again, that's gotten me into trouble at times. And I've had to learn how to do that humbly versus <laughs> not. Um, so it's been a growing thing, but yeah. So I think most men I forget my, one of my husband's dear friends. I'm trying to think of exactly how he said it to me, but somehow we were on the phone talking about business things. And he's like, I've never been around a woman like you. I'm like, thank you. Thank you, I think. My, my grandmother was a woman of firsts. She, mm -hmm. she did a lot. And I interviewed her one time, just a you know, little recorder. And I said, what do you think of the glass ceilings? And she said, I don't believe in glass ceilings. Mm -hmm. She's like, if there's something that gets in my way, I move around it. And I was just like, <laughs> wow. That's great. <laughs> you know, and so, and that's what I see as uh, a person who is a strong, a strong person. And I think it doesn't have to be a strong person. It can yeah. be any person when you're moving and you see something in your way, then it's like, excuse me, I'm going to step yeah. around this. Um, but there is some inner strength and, and you don't have to be an eight to have that is maybe what you're yes. pointing at. There yeah. is some kind of, once you have this inner, it's a confidence, uh, a confidence in who you are and what your gifts and talents are and, and your uh, strengths are and your weaknesses are. Once you have that inner stability, then I think whatever's in front of you, the obstacles won't matter. Like you push through the obstacles, you find ways around the obstacles. And I'm like energized by that and by other people who see that and do that and operate life um, like that. Short paragraph. How does a person do that? <laughs> Short paragraph. Short paragraph. I mean, finding that inner peace, I think it's part of my goal as a pastor to remind people who they are. Like, that's what I feel this heavy calling to. And so knowing that you are simply um, inherently good at your core, like the goodness inside of us is planted far deeper than any wrong we could ever commit. Um, and that goodness is there and that because I believe every one of us is born in this image of God, that we've got this divine DNA working in us if we would recognize that. And so for many of us that have grown up in uh, traditional Christianity, that was not the blessing that was spoken over us, that we were named sinner from moment one and that that becomes then who we are. And so you're constantly second guessing yourself or thinking that if that's your base, how do I move into this um, more pure, more holy state? And yet if you start back with, no, no, I have this inherent DNA um, that says that I am worthy simply because I'm breathing here. Once you get to that place and then all of a sudden life becomes beautiful and good and truth starts to unravel, um, in the best of ways where you can see it clearly all around you. And so I think starting from that moment of saying, I am worthy of love today, that may be the first for some that they need to start with that. Sure. 
But once you recognize that, then you start learning how to operate out of that. Okay. Um, given as a woman in ministry, you know, we're stepping from women in just the workplace <laughs> as a woman in ministry. Uh, now I know that you're using some, you, you've used some Christian terms. You've yeah. done really good on not, but you know, words like grounded yeah. and, and other, other Christian, you know, Christianese <laughs> kind of, kind of stuff. Um, I, I try. I know. I know. I know. You learned the language. I did. Um, and, and so as a, as a woman in ministry, have you encountered that? I mean, even from, from Avalon up, but, but as someone who expects uh, a woman in ministry to be, um, mousy mm-hmm. or to be subservient or a servant to their male counterpart. Mm-hmm. Um, has that, you know, has that come across? I know, I know Stan talks about how even, even, you know, even as he seeks to have, um, you know, to, to have, you know, gender roles, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and have things positive, there's still a misogynistic yeah. homophobic part of him because yeah. we all have these, yeah, yeah. these privileged parts that we, mm-hmm. that we try to beat down. So even when you're dealing with people who are say, I'm open, how, how have you come across those things? I mean, I mean, we've, we even have, I mean, I was trying, I was really trying to hold against it so I could keep this as, <laughs> as date free as possible. But, um, one, one of Trump's sons, uh, you know, made a comment about, you know, if a woman experiences sexual harassment, she should just go ahead and move on to the next job. It's okay. So where do you, 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 you go with that? I can't. Oh. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, it's hard. So yes, I've come into contact with people, right. That, um, want to view me differently or less than simply because I'm a woman. I have come across that and I ignore that. And I, um, choose to not operate in that. And I, I won't stand for that in my life. Um, a, a lot of women have not either had the privileged or the wherewithal or because of things that they've grown up with, they, they can't, like they've had to just succumb to that. And my heart breaks for them because we deserve so much more. And so I think for us to keep being who we are and pushing into our strengths and fighting against whatever that glass ceiling is and whatever, you know, role you find yourself in and not just not sitting idly by. We can't sit idly by anymore. We can't let the woman be uh, or gender be a part of the conversation that hinders us. And so I'm all about let's quit fighting about it and just prove ourselves to the world. Like I've tried to stay out of arguments along the way and just say, you give me a task and I'll prove to you that I can do it. And then you can decide if you want me to be involved in it or not. Sure. All right. Uh, <laughs> but that's my feisty eight nature. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you did very well on. on uh, I, I could tell you wanted to go a lot further. But but I will say, I mean, talking about gender roles in in the workplace and or in ministry, I mean, something that I think I'm still trying to. I'm 37 and I've got two kids, so um, my daughter just turned seven, my son just turned 10. And so I'm a, I have a full-time job. I'm a parent. I'm a wife. I'm all these things. And so for my husband and I, it's been us figuring out. So the role of the wife and the husband, um, as far as even like wives be submissive to your husband, right? That's that Christianese type thing that yeah, is ingrained yeah. in us. And he and I realized early on, like, that's not going to work for us. <laughs> it's not, we're going to be partners in this together. And he was always willing to be that, even though he grew up in that same way that the, the husband should be the dominant one. 
And yet he realized, no, I want to partner with this. But we had to like work through how that, how we operate though and how, what that would actually look like and that it wouldn't come down. He didn't want to make all the final decisions and yet maybe it was in him to try to do that. And then he'd be like, wait, 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 no, we need to do this together. So we've had to learn how to do a partnership um, and be strong for each other and allow each other to be weak at times versus always the woman's going to be the weak one and the husband will be the strong one. That's not real life. Yeah. <laughs> That's not real life uh, in a heterosexual relationship at least. Um, so anyways, we've had to learn to partner, but I've also known um, even in growing up that my family life was going to look different than even how my mom, like my family life looked like when we were growing up. So my mom was... She had a nine to five job. We were latchkey kids. So we would stay in the after school program until she got off work. And then, but we were home with her every night or she was taking us to dance or to church or to cheerleading or whatever. Like she was present there all the time because her job was nine to five. So when I realized I was going to be in full-time ministry, I would have said called into full-time ministry at 16. (laughs) I knew then though that my life was going to be different and that my family life would look different, that my normal would be different than most people's normal. Um, And so I've had to figure out how can I be a mom and a good mom, but not be the mom that's at everything because that's not real life to me. Like I don't have that opportunity and I've had to learn when I need to prioritize. Literally, we just went on this lovely vacation this summer. So great to spend the week just with the family. And then when we got home, I took sort of the next three weeks and instead of saying yes to a lot of friend engagements and parties or whatnot, um, I literally said no to it because this season needed me to say yes to my family and to be home intentionally. But that season doesn't always look like that. And so anyways, it's just that gender role and me saying that, like my house, it it doesn't stay clean at all. (laughs) That's what doesn't happen in this world where I'm trying to do so many things. We don't have a clean house. We have someone that helped us clean it because otherwise it would be miserable, right? So there's some things have to give and yet I just had to realize what does it look like for me to be the best mom I can be and not have to look like the mom next door because I'm not going to look like that. And I think that's healthy for any of us to do. Like quit saying I have to fulfill this role and this is what this role looks like, be it a a dad or a husband or a wife or a mom or a whatever. I have to say what does this look like for me? How do I play in this and how can I not only honor myself um, and be good to myself and kind to myself, but also honor my husband, my spouse, my kids, and then my work and my job and all of that. Good golly, Melissa Green. You're sounding very traditional. You are. (laughs) Why? You're you're seeking to, you want to honor family and do all this stuff. Yet you are associate pastor of a church that's not so traditional. So... Well, traditional is honoring yourself and others, and we are traditional, but we are progressive, yes. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I've reserved plenty of time to talk about that. Okay, great. That's, and that's, uh, you know, this story of yours, you've, you've gone from, you know, a, a conservative, uh, conservative kid, uh, CCM singer, mm-hmm. stepping up into you know, leading worship. Now you're associate pastor at this at this church that is uh, made some made some national news about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Time Magazine national stuff. Uh, a fully inclusive church now to to mm-hmm. the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not even the whole thing of the church. Let's talk about that first. Sure. And then we'll step we'll step a little further into the the progressive theology that you talk about here. Yeah. This is part of you know it's taken us this long to get to the same difference part. <laughs> I love it. So, how did that? Uh, you, you were there yeah. when when it happened, yeah. and and the the feeling of it. Uh, you know, half the church left. 
mm-hmm. building back up nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I attend mm-hmm. Grace Point Church just just for matters of disclosure. Um, and this isn't an advertisement for GP more than it is uh, to understand progressive theology yeah. and 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 what's going on here. Um, take take me back to to right right before that happened, the feeling before and the. So Grace Point uh, was started by Stan Mitchell and founded in um, in his living room, and it started. It, we always wanted it to be, and I say we now because I'm such a part of this, but they started it to be an interdenominational church. They wanted to not be non-denominational, but to be inter and to be able to pull all these different streams of Christianity and say, just put lowercase on your Baptist or Catholic or Pentecostal, bring that to the table and let's truly learn from one another. So that was the heart of the church to begin with. It also became a church for de-church people, people that had left the church and really didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and so they found a safe place in Grace Point to ask questions. So that was sort of the heartbeat of the church from moment one. So um, we always had LGBT people within the congregation, but they never had um, full membership roles. And so they could, let's say, which is typical at most churches around here, but they could help with you know, cleaning the church, but you couldn't sing on a microphone or they could be in the choir, but they couldn't sing the solo or they could, you know, help set up for VBS, but you couldn't be the VBS teacher, you know, all these things. So that's sort of what we were operating in, um, and trying our best to move the church through a dialogue. So three years or so ago, um, a famous artist that had gone to our church did an interview where she said she went to a gay friendly church and because of that, Westboro Baptist heard about us and they came to picket us and that we knew they were coming. And so because of it, we said, you know, let's talk about this on a Sunday morning. So we started a homosexuality in the Bible series. Again, I think it's three summers. It may have been four now. And at the time it was, let's start talking about what being gay or lesbian or bisexual means. It wasn't even transgender as much then. Um, that we were willing to talk about, but we were saying, what does it mean? And then how does this fit? Like, what does the Bible say about it? And so we spent three weeks sort of doing panels and the fact that we would even discuss it at the time was enough for some people to say, no, I'm out. Like it's black and white end of story. Um, and we honestly, we lost people, sort of a few people on both ends of the spectrum. Our liberal friends were saying, take the stand that I know you believe in because it's not fair until you do. Yeah. You're not going far enough. Yeah. And then our very conservative friends were like, it's not even up for discussion, you know? So we lost a few people, a few. Um, But anyways, just that couple week series took us into, you know what, y'all, we can't even get to this matter of inclusion until we look at how do we read this Bible? How do we interpret this Bible? So we literally took the next three years and did series after series, really focusing in on what do we do with this book and what does this book mean to us today and how do we use it? What's our hermeneutic? Like, how are we interpreting it? Are we all on the same page with how we interpret it? And in the meantime, our gay friends and lesbian friends that were a part of our congregation, they chose to stay knowing that we weren't ready to say full inclusion yet. They chose to sort of be the faces to say, let's not just talk about these issues. Let's live with these people. And the more you live with these people, it opens up your heart to get your eyes off the black and white words on a page and look into the eyes of humanity and say, how does this actually live out in flesh tone? You know? And so that opens people and that changes people. And so finally we came to a point where in our hearts and in our heads, we could no longer say we can continue like this. Like we have to go to full inclusion and nothing left because 
the gospel that we believe in and the God that we believe in is bigger and broader than what we stand for, had stood for. So we made the statement and uh, Stan and I were a part of a gay wedding. He officiated and I was singing at it. And that was sort of us outing ourselves <laughs> to the community and the congregation that this is where our hearts and our heads are and our faith is. And so we then made the official statement that January of 14, um, that this is what, this is what the church will be now. And the backlash was crazy. And then the excitement and the news people came, like we weren't seeking any of that out. That all just sort of came to us because they would label us as a evangelical um, mega church, which yeah. we laugh. We were never a mega church, but that was their labeling. Um, and, and we were even making our way out of evangelicalism, but that was sort of the big news headline. So that's it, it, it makes me laugh. Uh, when, when I hear the, the, uh, the mega church or the, the evangelical part now, mm-hmm. but at the time everybody, you know, that, that was everyone's focus. Um, even with, um, the, the LGBTQ community, uh, part, part of what, uh, some of the detractors were saying is, well, they did this, you're going to love mm-hmm. this. They did this so they get more people there. <laughs> they did this so they could make more money. <laughs> I'm yeah. doing dun, dun, dun yeah. on the, on the <laughs> desk. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's just not the case. So, no, I'm like, they, those people, like, I'm like, you don't live in our reality. Like you have no idea what you're talking about because yeah. this, this does not, this did not gain us money and it didn't, we have not even replaced the sum total of the people that we had before with the new group of people, but we have replaced with is a depth of community and a heart, um, the community that we have now, and it is growing. It's just slowly growing, but we don't care. Like, that's not our success anymore is our numbers or even the money coming in. Um, we're having to figure out new budgets and all of that, and that's part of the tension. But the heartbeat of our community is that all are truly welcome here. And not just welcome in the door and now we're going to change you, but no, no, welcome. You, you are welcome. To, to pause uh, on this, just for anyone who disagrees with this, this is inform- This is for information. This isn't a propaganda thing. If you don't like what you're hearing, keep listening. And the big part is keep is talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, I was talking to a Muslim friend actually, and and Muslims traditionally you know don't have a you know a, a whole let's let's all be pro LGBTQ stuff. Right, right. But you know, his, the big thing he said was no, they're not asking for permission. They're asking for respect. They're asking for mm-hmm. uh, they're they're asking for someone to be kind. Mm-hmm. They're asking for no hate. It's different than agreeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the first step can be mm-hmm. kindness, yep. that's a beautiful step to take. Yeah. And so just for people who disagree, who are listening, who disagree, please be part of uh, you know, a, a community of respect mm-hmm. more than anything else. Now, uh, that's the depth that you're seeing is all are welcome in, in your church. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that translate? You know, that you said this, this comes from, this is only part of what is going on. Uh, how were you stepping out of evangelicalism? What's, what's that? Um, well, evangelicalism typically in traditional Christianity typically has stood for that we are all born, um, sinners and thus on a trajectory that is headed us to hell, this eternal damnation. And that the only way, um, to intervene and to change that course is to accept Jesus, let, let Jesus intervene and be the, the one stopping us from hell. And that's sort of the traditional evangelical belief in a nutshell, at least the Southern Baptist and, and many that, of us that grew up like that. And now we're moving towards our focus is not like that was so heavily focused on the afterlife. 
so heavily focused that then the life here was all about how do you save yourself from then, sure, right? It, had, sure. it did not have much to do with now what, except for those rules, like no drinking, no drugs, no sex before marriage. Like there was a little bit of that. But otherwise, the life here and now, creation, um, how we care for the environment, how we care for other people, like that's not the um, priority. Now we're saying the afterlife um, that's not our focus. That's not where our heart is. We don't think that, um, mo- the majority of people living past and present and future are headed towards some eternal torture. We don't believe that's the God that we believe in. And that's what God wants to do with humanity. And so I think we find ourselves a little bit more agnostic about what happens after death and saying we have intuition about some of that. And we have hopes for some of that, but that's not our focus. Our focus is here and now. And how can we remind people that you are not, you don't need to be saved. You're already safe. And so now live out of that. Like there is a higher calling. There is a responsibility. I can still use those Christianese words because <laughs> um, I believe in them. Um, there is this know who you are. I did a sermon recently talking about how the analogy, like we are all these diamonds. And so to mine that diamond though, and to understand that the pressures of this world um, bring us so that we can choose then to shine brighter and to live in higher states um, where we're not only choosing to love ourselves, but love others. But that is the focus. Remind each and every human, remind my children daily that they are loved, not just by God, but by me and deserving of love. And thus to live out of that, to be a loving, gentle, humble, curious, courageous person. But what about no drinking? What about no drugs? What about no smoking? What about no sex? Those are rules that, are rules. that we need, right? Um, <laughs> I think some of it's relative, honestly. I think uh, speaking about drinking in itself, like we have AA meetings that meet on Wednesday nights at our church. Um, obviously, that's all anonymous. And then we go out and do karaoke at a bar um, once every two months where people drink. And so we're trying to show what moderation looks like. And if you have this um, already a proclivity to addiction, then you should not be drinking. But if you can drink and it just be a social part of your context and you're not going to do something to hurt yourself or others, then that's okay. Like that's not going to be sin for you, but it may be sin for someone else because they're not actually loving themselves well when they do it. So uh – conversation I had, uh, at lunch, uh, one Sunday afternoon, um, people were saying, well, I was trying to figure out what the, what the, your church, mm-hmm. what the church's stance is on this, what the church's stance is on that. And I'm not really getting a, a clear, you know, they're, they're not giving me like a clear, this is the black and white answer. And what, am, what amazed me, mm-hmm. a, a quick story from, from me is years and years ago, um, you know, I, I grew up you know, as a, basically, I guess I would be considered conservative Mm -hmm. and we would have conversations about, could you talk about God in a bar? Could you, could you go to this place or talk to this person in this situation? And you're looking for the line later. Uh, I attended uh, last day's ministries, intensive Christian training school. Keith green stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, was down there for four or five months. And that was the same thing. They were saying, well, could you, you know, sit and have a beer with somebody and talk about Jesus? Could you do this? And everybody's looking for the line and then sitting in this progressive Christian group and they're looking for the same, everybody's looking for the line. And it's like, everybody wants to know where the place is, where, where the place is. And I, I kind of get, and I'd like you to expound on it. I kind of think. There's no line. There aren't as many lines as we think there are. I just, I think that that's a facade that some of us think we need, right? And that's been that sense of, I need security and certainty. Like I need certainty so I can clarify black and white, yes and no, right or wrong. 
Um, easier to follow rules. It's easier, sure, but I think most of it's false. It's like it's 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 false certainty. Um, I think the idea. I think God is infused in this life, in people, in creation. Like God is in us, with us. God is not external. And we're bringing God along like Jesus on my shoulder, you know, when I walk into those parties or that bar or whatever. Like that was the premise. Like let's take God with us. This girl just said at one of our uh, coffee and conversations, which is what we do monthly as a church, This uh, she was 10 and she was like, Grace Point for me has made God not so creepy. Like before God, <laughs> the way I thought of God was like God's following me into the bathroom or following me into my, watching over me as I sleep. And she's like, that's really creepy. But now I just feel like this witness of God and that's really beautiful and much more comforting. So any, anyways, but the lines, it goes back to the line between sacred and secular. Like we were always told there's sacred and there's secular, secular, there's Christian music and there's secular music. Sure. Like, and all that's a facade. Like, no, no, everything is sacred. Like I believe everything is sacred. God is in all of this. And so because of that, those lines are not so clear. Now, I do think there needs to be healthy boundaries and boundaries are there to protect and to help support things, but they aren't there to keep out and it's not going to be the same for everybody. And so people that are asking that within Grace Point and outside of Grace Point, it's not a clear yes, no, this is the line. You can't do this. or You can do this. I think a lot of it again is relative and it depends on who you are and uh, what your maturity is and what, um, how that affects not just you, but the others around you. And I think that's going to be different for some of us and I'm okay with that, but that is scary to a lot of people. It is. Well, uh, all right, let's take it home then. Your lovely, your lovely little girl. Haven. She turns 18, Mm -hmm. takes her boyfriend of six months, says, I'm going to live with him. Mm Mm-hmm. Where does Miss Progressive Christian Mama go now? Well, I'd have to understand. I mean, I, it depends on where she is, where she's in, in her own maturity, sure. what the point is of them living, living together. I will say it's not going to be a clear no, you don't do that because you wait and do that before you get married. Yeah. That's gone for me. Like those quick, fast rules. Because I'm asking myself, why were those rules in place? Like what were they protecting us from? Because it used to be because no sex before marriage and you have to stay pure and blah, blah, well, blah. Before that, it was damaged goods. Oh yeah. It was property. Well, and that's because the woman is the property, right? Yeah, exactly. It's all about the women. You exactly. can, men can sleep around all they want, but I want a virgin when I get married. Exactly. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. But so, yeah. So You're I safe. think what I'm, what I'm saying is as my kids grow up specifically, not just who I pastor and how I shepherd these people and how I would encourage our adults around us, but my kids, I want to teach my kids about what healthy sexuality is and how to live, what a healthy relationship looks like and how to make healthy decisions. But it's not going to be like, no, 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 no. And I'm not going to describe to you why you shouldn't do those. Uh, just don't ask, you know, just deal with it and listen to what I say, which is sort of what we grew up in. It's like, there's all these rules and you can't ask the why behind them. And it doesn't matter what the why we're just telling you what to do or what not to do, but just trust us. In the meantime, again, I'm putting everything on the table and saying, let's talk about the why. Because maybe, maybe by the time she's 18 and she wants to move with her boyfriend, there'll be a good why where I say, no, this yeah. makes zero sense. And there's no way that you need to do this. This is not healthy for you or for him or your relationship. But there's a part of me that says, maybe, maybe there's going to be good reason that that makes perfect sense. Maybe. I, I don't you. know. I got you. All right. I, sorry. to No. So, so 
so this this place that uh, is you know fewer there, there's fewer rules, but there seems to be uh, more depth. How can somebody you know how how can somebody who's stepping from me mm-hmm. stepping from a a very conservative background or at least you know conservative background maybe not being conservative, but <laughs> which is a whole different story that sure. you could get into. <laughs> But where does, you know, how, how does somebody make that transition? I mean, I, I, it's obviously an individual thing. There's mm-hmm. not a prayer you can pray for the, for the progressive theology to go, and I'm in. I think life brings people to this mindset. Um, and if they need a, a spiritual community that can help nurture that, then we would be the place for them. But what we've found, we're not out to change people. Um, I will speak my truth, so, and I will share it on my platforms, be it on social media or whatnot, but... Life is what opens people up, and it was the, like I said, the death of my brother-in-law that made me question how God operates in the world. It was facing those kids in Africa that made me not want to spout off that Bible verse because that wasn't going to actually encourage them and comfort them. Mm. Um, It was my gay friend that lived miserably and depressed and couldn't find work and then didn't, at the time, deserve to be in a relationship because God wouldn't honor that. That got suicidal. I mean, it was one thing after another that just opened me up to say... For someone like my husband, my husband was ready to just throw it all out. Like, then I'm not going to be involved in Christianity because there's not room for me here. And I held all those questions, hoping that there was a different way to still remain a Christ follower and a follower of Jesus, but be able to honor the humanity that was in front of me. And in liberal Christianity and progressive Christianity, I found that place. But you let go of a lot of old answers, and it's not that you replace them with new answers. There's a lot of, again, certainty is not the virtue. Um, Humility and inquiry and bravery is. And in the meantime, I think, Mike, beauty, truth, and goodness is sort of my mantra. That's how I think God operates in this world. It's how we best see God, and it's how we can best live out God to the world. And so I want to showcase all things beautiful, be it the noticing the sunrise when I wake up in the morning or the deer that walk through my backyard or the way in which my kids are being kind to each other this morning, like name that beauty see truth wherever truth can be found and revealed. And so if it's in the Bible, if it's in, you know, something Gandhi said, if it's in your Muslim friend speaking truth, like I don't have to say, well, that's not going to be truth. No, truth is truth is truth. And I'm going to honor it when I hear it and resonate with it. And then finally, goodness is this way in which we um, give back then to the world that we are good to ourselves and good to others. And that's sort of my that's my focus. That's my mantra. So, so as you come across people who are unraveling, uh, mm-hmm. deconstruction, mm-hmm. if you want, if you want to say it that way, uh, unlearning is mm-hmm. what is a new word that I've that I've. I'm like, man, I've got so much to unlearn. Mm-hmm. So, you have these people. I have a friend um, that is. He found out his daughter was gay, mm-hmm. and he stopped going to church. Mm-hmm. Um, not because he was mad at God, but he said, "I know." what those people don't know. Mm. I know something. He goes, my girl, he goes, I knew all the answers. A gay person is confused. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're being, they're being rebellious. Mm -hmm. Uh, they've been abused, Mm -hmm. but all the, all this, he goes, I knew. And he goes, I know my little girl and she's none of those things. And she's a lovely little girl that loves Jesus. And I don't know where I can't put that anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not. Mm -hmm. And he said, eventually I will, but he goes, I'm, I'm just kind of stopping it for now. He knows that eventually it'll, it'll come back around for him. But the response that he said to me, I will try to say without tears. Mm -hmm. He said, if it comes down to my religion or my daughter, Mm -hmm. my religion goes out the window. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, 
I think that's more Jesus than, mm. than anything that you could have right. said. Right. So my, my friend comes to church. Now he's, he is a, he is a conservative man, Southern Baptist still to the core, probably would disagree with half of what's going on at this church. Is he mm-hmm. still welcome? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've seen people who, who post things that I'm just like, what? But they're, but they're members of Grace Point because of the community. Like our doors are wide open. Now, what you'll find is once you get inside and you recognize that we have this progressive bent, um, that becomes very clear. It becomes clear in how the form in which we do even our services on Sunday, the way in which we pray, the way the types of lyrics in our songs, the way in which we'll um, deliver a message and or some weeks it's literally we're passing a mic around to hear from the community um, and get their slant on things. So some people that's not the brand or form of Christianity that they want or need. And so although they may walk in those welcome doors, they may not feel like this is my place. And so we bless them then as they go. I mean, lots of people, we've lost tons of people that have moved on to other churches and we are not cursing them for how dare you not want to be a part of this. We bless them as they go. And we hope that everyone can find a, a community that can nurture them. But so you don't have the, the key to this. You're not the only one that runs the show. No, oh, okay. I knew that. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> that is the beauty. I mean, most people are looking to their pastors and the leaders in the church to be the end all be all to be the one that has the direct line to God and that has it all figured out. And, that has led into putting then pastors up on pedestals. And then when they make mistakes, um, then they are just dropped, you know, and in the midst of this, we're like, no, 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 we're humans just like you. And we think there's beauty in our humanity. And we may be a few steps ahead on some of this knowledge or insight because it's our job to be, but we're in this with you. Like it's level ground. So we're not above you. We may be ahead of you. As we wrap things up, uh, we, we do want to mention, um, Timothy's gift again. If anybody yeah. wanted to be involved or contribute to a, a thing that's really helping people yeah. in prisons, timothysgift.com. Um, melissagreenmusic.com. Website needs to be updated. It's She'll a, take care of that. It needs to be updated. All right, but I'm, <laughs> people can contact you through that. People, people can totally on Facebook too. I have a page. And... So very cool. What, um, to finish it out, you know, as a, uh, you know, you, you are a woman in ministry. You're a, you're a, Enneagram eight. I, I just so don't, maybe I'll get into it someday. I, I got to talk to Ian Crone, I guess. Yes. But, uh, what, what are you going to tell somebody that you meet on the street who says, why should I even think about, um, I'm not talking about grace point, but why should I even think about anything that you're talking about? Why should I even, um, you know, I don't feel loved. Uh, life sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that, because most people, most people kind of know, you know, or, or kind kind of have that, that bent of, I'm not worthy. I don't, yeah. I don't feel it. I don't feel good. I don't feel it. And, and if I go, you know, and if I walk anywhere near where there's religious stuff, it's yeah. going to, you know, fall in on me. 